Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Colossians. The New Testament book of Colossians and Colossians in chapter number 3. The book of Colossians and chapter number 3. We've been enjoying walking through this small little New Testament book and seeing all that it has available for us. Remember that the context is, is that the Apostle Paul is inside of a prison in the city of Rome. He received notice from the pastor of the church of Colossae that there was a cult that was beginning to form and that he wanted to know as the pastor how he could help protect the church and prepare the church to be able to endure the attacks, the, the, the false doctrine, the deceit of this cult. And the short answer that the Apostle Paul gave to the church of Colossae was that they needed to keep their eyes on the Lord. Learn of him, know of him, study of him. Keep your eyes on God and learn about who he is personally. Not just book knowledge, but learn of him through experience as you keep your eyes on the Lord, as you read your Bible, as you pray, as you walk with him, as you obey him. You learn of him. And if you know God and know Christ, that what happens is that you cannot be deceived by something that is false. Chapters 1 and chapter 2 spent a lot of time uh, teaching the people at Colossae to keep their eyes on the Lord. Starting in chapter 3, we have the practical application. Because we keep our eyes on the Lord, what should be showing up on our life? How should our life be affected? What things should change because we keep our eyes on the Lord? And remember that the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said if you keep your eyes on the Lord, that you're going to put some things on in your life. And if you keep your eyes on the Lord, there are going to be some things that you take off in your life. That if you keep your eyes on the Lord, you're going to be filled with God's word. Remember, you cannot be a spiritual person without first being a scriptural person. That if you keep your eyes on the Lord, that one of the evidences is that your home will be put in order. That if God has his rightful place in your life, then the rest of your life would follow in order. That the, each person in the home will be doing what they ought to be doing. And then we come to the book of Colossians chapter two, 3. And starting at verse 22, we could see that once again we have a practical explanation, a practical application. That if we keep our eyes on God, what's going to happen is that it's going to be evidenced and shown up in our workplace. Notice with me in the book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse number, or chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 22. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Colossians 3 and verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not 
unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven." And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find inside of the book of Colossians in chapter number three? The book of Colossians chapter number three. And notice with me in verse 23, where it talks about, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. If you're in the habit of marking things, mark that do it as to the Lord. Do it as to the Lord. And with the Lord's help, as God is putting an emphasis here, we need to be the employees and the employers. We need to be the workers we ought to be with this idea as unto the Lord. Remember, we're keeping our eyes unto the Lord. And if we keep our eyes on the Lord, it is going to show up on even how we work at the job. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would give us grace and mercy and understanding, that you would open up this passage and that you would let people's hearts be open, and that they'd be willing to put their eyes upon you and trust you. Thank you, Lord. Just put this in order. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, for the purpose that you do your own work, that you would make it make sense, that you would make it practical and applicable to every person that's here, and that it would be a real help. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you in these things. In Jesus' now, name, amen. The Holy Spirit now addresses the very often stormy area of management employee relations. <clears throat> We know that much of the strife between employees and their bosses would disappear if they would just follow the principles given and put down inside of the word of God. Now, I understand that we live in a culture today where it's very uh, common where people complain about work, complain about their boss, complain about the job, complain about the other stuff. In fact, we'll just be honest with ourselves. Our default setting is complaining. And you give us a moment, we'll find something to complain about. And if we can't think of anything, we'll make something else to complain about. But that's our default setting. And nothing is easier picking than the job. Why? Because it's work. Because we have to deal with people. Because there's people there that think and see things differently. Without a doubt, bosses look at the work differently than the employees work at the work. They see things differently. They see things. Maybe they're missing some information. But we know that it becomes a great source of conflict. There are so many people who do not enjoy their jobs. There are so many people who don't enjoy aspects of their job. Maybe they enjoy the jobs, but they don't like the people of their jobs. So what we're speaking about is a common experience. And so with this, we have to humble ourselves because a lot of times we like to complain we like to hate our bosses. We like to point out the things up here. We have to humble ourselves and say, let's see what the Bible has to say. Now, remember the context. And the only way this works is that if we're keeping our eyes on the Lord, when our eyes get off the Lord, all these other issues become a lot bigger. There are many times that the issues at work become so big that we fail to look at God behind them and we can't, over can't overcome them. 
Remember, this is the secret here of everything. We have to keep our eyes on God, looking at him. Why? Because everything we do should be as unto the Lord for his glory, for his honor. This is a big deal. Now, again, for context, this becomes more of an emphasis here because if you remember that there was a very important person by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave. Now, we know that slavery is an abomination every culture, every time, but it existed. Inside of Colossae, it was like the rest of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at this time, 75% of the population were slaves. It was a reality of how they lived. Most um, slavery was a part of the everyday life. Well, there was the man who allowed the people to um, assemble in his house. Remember, they didn't have nice church buildings. They would meet at people's houses. And there was a man by the name of Philemon. Philemon was a rich landowner who allowed the church to assemble at his house. And he had a man by the name of Onesimus who was a slave who stole from him and ran away and went to Rome. Well, he got to Rome, met the apostle Paul, got saved, and now he's coming back. And as he's coming back, Paul says, well, this is going to be an issue. Might as well cover this idea of the relationship between the employers and employees. This is an easy application, whether it was the masters and the servants, whether it's your boss and the employees, the application still applies the same because if we're keeping our eyes on the Lord, there are certain things that we do in certain ways that we behave. And it's being addressed here that as Onesimus goes back, what do we do about this? Well, this is what we do about it. We look at the Lord and God gives us this guidance. So if you don't mind, the first thing we'd like to bring to your attention here is the role of the employee as unto the Lord. The role of the employee as unto the Lord. Now, in regard to biblical authority, unless the biblical authority is asking us to do anything illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, we as the employee, are, our only answer is yes. Now, I immediately have lost half the crowd. But this is, is we're keeping our eyes on the Lord this is our answer that unless they're giving us something illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, we need to do our best to do what they've asked us to do. Let me show you. Notice with me verse 22. Servants, obey in all. There's that little pesky word, all. What does all mean? All. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Now, what does that mean, according to the flesh? Meaning that they're flesh and blood in front of you. What we're understanding, there's a principle that if you will not obey visible authority, you will not obey invisible authority. This is a principle. How do we know that we're being obedient to the Lord? Because we're being, being obedient to the people in our biblical chain of command. Well, I'm not obeying my boss. Well, then you're not obeying the Lord. And you're not going to obey the Lord. You, become, you see, this becomes a very important principle. Servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers. Now here it gives more of an understanding here. We're not doing it as in to try to uh, make a good impression on the boss. That becomes half-hearted. That becomes the place where we're doing it for show, but not doing it for real. Many of us, we all have a common work experience. I haven't been a pastor all my life. I worked in hospitals. I worked in the military. I understand there's many people that are called suck-ups. 
who will do everything he can to look in, good in front of the boss, but when the boss isn't looking, they're not doing anything. The Bible says, don't do that. That's not what we're talking about. You're not trying to make your boss happy by sucking up to them and just trying to do things that they see. And then if they're not looking, forget everything else. You're not doing it to be men pleasers. You're not doing it just to make them happy because we have someone else that we're trying to please. And that's God. He's our ultimate goal. With regard to biblical authority, unless the authority is asking us to do anything illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, we have the biblical mandate to obey our masters in all things. Now, again, this is where I get a lot of people. I taught high school for a while. When I would say this, they would all come up with the what ifs. Well, what if this? What if this? And usually when they're asking what ifs, it's for the idea they're trying to look for some loophole to get out of this. They're looking for a reason not to obey. Don't do that. Let's say that we're keeping our eyes on the Lord and this is what God's given us to do. That if long as the boss hasn't given us anything illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, we need to do our best to try to accomplish it. This is called submission. Remember, submission is the idea of obeying with your heart, not just with your service. For example, there's a difference between submission and compliance. If a parent tells their child to go clean their room and their kid goes, are they submitted? They are not. That needs to get fixed, by the way. We'll talk about that in the message coming up in Proverbs. But that needs to be fixed. Because they need to be taught how to obey with their heart. It is a matter of the heart. Same thing with your work. You're not to do it as men pleasers or as a suck up, but you need to do it with your heart. This is what my boss has given me to do. This is what God has given me to do. And I'm going to do my best to give it. I'm going to do my best to do it. Now, remember, submission is not silence, but it is saying the right thing at the right time, the right spirit, the right um, <laughs> Let me make sure I get them all correct. It's saying the right thing at the right time, at the right place with the right spirit. For example, let's say that as a pastor, I say something that's foolish. Now, as a public speaker, I have a lot more words I use and a lot more opportunities to mess up my words. Let's say that I mess up my words. My wife doesn't stand up in the middle of the message and say, listen here, stupid, what are you thinking? That's not the right place, the right time. But what she will do is pull me inside the office and close the door and say, honey, I think what you said there hurt some people. Maybe perhaps you need to consider fixing that. You know, what she's done is come with the right spirit. She's coming to help me. She's done at the right place, privately away from everyone else. She's done it at the right time, not in the middle of the service, but when no one else is around. And she's saying the right things. She's offering a suggestion to try to help me. That's submission. She's not putting herself out of that. She's trying to help me. Saying the right thing at the right time, at the right time, at the place. Now, by the way, this becomes a big deal because it shows that we're not submitted. The boss gives you something that you're not able to do and immediately you lose your mind. What are you thinking? That's not even my job. Is that the right spirit? Is it the right time? Right place? You know, all those things come in there. Bosses will learn to trust you a lot more if you learn how to make an appeal. We'll talk about that in a second. But having the right spirit. It's not silence. 
You know, we're never teaching that submission is silence. But it is the right time, the right place, the right spirit saying the right things. Bosses will appreciate that, especially if they're a good boss who wants to do right. We know that there's some crackheads in there and we'll talk about how to deal with them in just a second too. But we understand that it's making sure that we are right, have the right spirit. If you stupid boss, I can't believe you said, I can't wait to go tell him off. Probably not the right spirit. The right time, the right place, whatever else. Make an appointment. Don't do it in front of everyone. Pull them aside. Hey, you know what? You gave us a thing out there, and I'm kind of curious. Could you clarify what you just said? I didn't quite understand. You know, that's a good way to start. In fact, let's go ahead and go through our thing. If you're going to be submitted, it's not silence, but we need to learn how to make an appeal. I want everyone to write this down. There are four steps of how to make a proper appeal to biblical authority. By the way, this works for any biblical authority. Children, you can learn how to make an appeal to your parents. Wives, make an appeal to your husband. Everyone can learn how to make an appeal to their uh, bosses. People learn how to make an appeal to their pastor. How do I make an appeal? It's not just stamping your feet and saying, what are you thinking? You're crazy. Which some of us default to. How do we make a proper appeal? The first process of this appeal is to review the circumstances. Review the circumstances. All right? So let's do this. We have a a great sound guy, but he works a job that sometimes makes him travel. Okay? I have someone else that's trained in uh, the sound booth, but let's say that something happens and she's sick. Okay? Okay? So, me being pastor, knowing things are going up there and not thinking, hey, Zeb, go do sound booth. Now, it's not something he's trained in, okay? So, what he may do to make a proper appeal, I'm trying to use a circumstance that we can relate to so that you can see. All right, Zeb, go get this done. Well, he's going to come see me in private, you know, away from everyone, and he's going to review the circumstances. If I understand right, we need someone to uh, cover the sound booth. Max isn't here, that thing. You need someone to cover that sound booth. Is that correct? Now, when you uh, review the circumstances, what you're doing is making, stating it, restating what they've asked you to do to make sure that, uh, first of all, that you heard them correctly. And if you didn't, they're able to fix that. Second of all, it allows them to understand that you heard what they said. That becomes very important. A lot of people get frustrated because they feel like they're not being heard. So when you're being submitted, you're repeating, you're reviewing the circumstances. This is what you've asked me to do. Uh, If I understood right, this is what you would like me to get done. You're reviewing the circumstances. If for some reason you didn't hear right, this gives them an opportunity to fix it. And you didn't do it publicly. You didn't do it so it embarrassed anybody. Everything's all good. Does it make sense? That's why we're doing that. You review the circumstances. What's the second step? Explain the dilemma. Explain the dilemma. He says, I understand you need someone to do the sound booth, but the problem is, is I've never been trained. I don't know how. So is explaining the dilemma. So is it a bad, evil thing for him to say he doesn't know how to do it? No. He's explaining the dilemma. Maybe it was an idea that I forgot. I thought he was trained. And it just didn't cross my mind. 
So he's explaining the dilemma. I understand this is an important job. It needs to be done. But I'm not trained in this. So the third area is, is to suggest an alternative. Suggest an alternative. All right. I'm not trained in this area. However, if you would like to train me or have someone train me, I will be glad to do my best. Or perhaps this is something that could wait till Max or the other person gets involved. Does it make sense? You're now presenting an alternative. Don't go to your boss without an alternative. Give them something that they could do. And they may not take it, but at least you're trying, what can I do to fix this? What can I do to still get what you want accomplished? Rather than, I don't want to. I can't do it. What are you thinking? Then fourth of all, is to make your appeal. You make that appeal. Would this be something that you would work? What would you like to do about this? How can we solve this? All right? So, let's review the situation. I, as the pastor, has asked Zeb to do something. If we could just smile and nod right now. Normally, how would that play out? What are you thinking? Maybe he goes by and starts gossiping. You can't believe the boss made me do this. I don't even know how to do this. What is this stupid thing? You're always asking me to do stuff. Is that submission? But is that pretty common of what happens? Yep. Maybe you don't do that, but maybe someone else around you does that. Is that pretty common? Can't believe it's stupid, whatever else. Now, does the job get done? No. Not well, not, not, well, not whatever else. He may look and, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, he may attempt to try to do it and then bash the keyboard and break something. Now, is that going to make anything better? No. no. But is there plenty of people who may try to do that and they try to do it and, and then makes it worse? Because you understand this is an appeal process that is helpful to both the employee and to the boss, to the biblical authority and to the one who submitted. Because now we're trying to be on the same page. It could be that I thought he was trained. Sorry. You see, you're making the thing. He comes up with the right spirit, the right time, the right place, explains the dilemma, review the circumstances, explain the dilemma, put an alternative. If you train me, I'll be glad to do that. You see, that's still a submissive thing. I'll be glad to help out, glad to get this accomplished. I don't know how long the training would be. Will this still be a feasible thing? Oh, you know what? I don't have time to train you. Let me see if I can find someone else. Okay, well then he's off the hook and the boss now has, it's now on him. And he's done it correctly in such a way that hasn't aggravated the situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, you can apply it to whatever situation that you may have. Whether it's dealing with a pastor, whether it's an employee, whether it's with an officer. Don't get in a fight with an officer. They're biblical authority. Don't get in a fight with them. Tell them how stupid they are. Make an appeal. Even if you think they're wrong, be submissive. Review the circumstances, explain what's going on. Maybe there's a confusion of understanding on either buddy's part, but explain it. Then make the appeal. Does that make sense? There are ways to handle it in such a way. Now, if you're going to be a submitted person, you learn this appeals process and use it. Unfortunately, you'll use it pretty often because there are many times that bosses, biblical authority are losing their minds. They're wrong, they're, they're misunderstanding, they may whatever else. But if you learn how to do this, there becomes such a trust that you develop between you and that biblical authority. This is someone who's not going to go yell at me because I made a mistake. Do bosses make mistakes? Yes. And do you think it feels good for them when they find out that they made a mistake? No. I mean, that's kind of embarrassing because you're the boss. But if you're able to handle it well, 
it's able to help the boss to make sure that they're right and handle things well. Now, we know that there's some bosses that lose their mind and whatever else over a little thing, but for the most part, this is something that works well as we're trying to be a good employee, a good um, whatever we are role we're having is learning how to submit. Now, what happens if authority asks us to do something that we cannot do and the biblical appeal is denied? What do we do? Submit to the circumstances. Submit to the consequences. Let me give an example. One of the what ifs that the, the um, teenagers would do. All right. Uh, they used to call me brother, professor, doctor. Uh, I forgot all the names. Pastor, brother, whatever. That was their fun thing. They, all right. They would give that big thing. All right. What happens if the government tells you that you can't have your Bible anymore? Okay. Is the government biblical authority? Do I still have a requirement to submit? Yeah. All right. So it, can I willingly give him my Bible though? No. But I still need to be submissive. How do I handle this? Well, I should probably already made an appeal. By the way, by the time the government gets that bad, it's probably because we failed in a lot of other areas as Christians, the government, by the way, beforehand. And now it's a little bit too late. But I can make my appeal to whoever's in charge. All right. But if they say, no, you're still going to have to turn over your Bible, what I'll have to do is say, listen, I cannot willingly submit to that. However, I'll submit to the consequences. If there's a jail sentence for me having my Bible, if I'm found with my Bible, I can't give it up, then I'll submit to those consequences. See, I still have to be submitted to authority. By the way, this is what made a great impression all throughout history. When Christians will be burnt to the stake, they weren't cursing and spitting and said, God's going to kill you. I hope you die. I hope your house gets buried in an earthquake. They were able to submit to the consequences and still sing hymns and have praises as they were being burned to the stake. And as they were being burned to the stake, the soldiers who were guarding them would go to their superiors and say, can you put us up on the stake? What? Why? Because whatever they have, that's what I want. You understand this submissiveness, even in those circumstances, has a great testimony that reaches others. This is how God has designed it to work. It's for us to be able to trust, not human authority. Humans are problems. They have mistakes. We're doing it as unto the Lord. You see, now we're all brought back to the beginning. It's by keeping our eyes on God, trusting that he knows what's going on. If the government decide to um, pass a law saying that we cannot um, cannot have biblical um, can't have our Bibles anymore, sorry, catching my train of thought. Did God know that God was going to pass that law, that they were going to pass that law? Did he catch God by surprise? No. Did God already have a plan of what he was going to do by it? Yes. Absolutely. And can I be a part of that plan by learning how to submit? Yes. Absolutely. You see, this becomes a bigger thing than us. How can a Christian gain great influence in the workplace? By learning how to be a submitted person. A Christian should not be part of the gossip. I understand every workplace has gossip. It's called a water cooler. It's called the coffee pot. And they like to talk about the bosses and what they made them do and all that other stuff and how bad it is and how bad the company is and what they're doing and what they're failing. Yeah, that's, that's normal speak. Christians should not be a part of that ever. We divorce ourselves from that. That's not something we're going to do. Why? Because we're trying to do it as unto the Lord. What, what does this all carry by? 
Notice with me in verse number 22 again. Servants obey the master's according to the flesh, not with eye service, but as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Our only goal is to glorify God. Our only goal is to please him. That's our singleness of heart. Verse number 23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartedly as unto the Lord, not unto men. We understand that every area of our life is a spiritual area. Many people put their church life here and their work life here. God doesn't do that. When you go to work, you're also a representative of the Lord. When you go to work, you are to do it as if God gave it to you because biblical authority gave it to you. For example, we have kids in here. School has started. Yay, school! Is a teacher biblical authority? Absolutely. So if the teacher gives them homework, God knew that they were going to give them homework. So guess what God's good and perfect and acceptable will is for that student to do the homework. And they do their homework as if they're doing it unto the Lord. God, this is what you've given me today, do today. And so I'm going to do my best at it. Now, I know that's a big ask, but homework something we can relate to. How many of you didn't, don't raise your hands didn't do your best in your homework. You, uh, you uh, did your minimum amount and got it done and turned it in and was satisfied with that. Well, if we're going to do it as under the Lord, we do everything we do to the best of our ability, including our homework. Children, you guys are easy to pick on. If your parents have given you to do dishes, then it's not like, yeah, stupid dishes, whatever we can, why do I have to do it? You should be doing dishes as unto the Lord. This is what God's given me to do. God's good and perfect will is for me to do dishes. And I'm going to do it gladly and happily because this is what God's given me to do. Now, by the way, parents, that requires training. You have to train your children to do that. But parents, you should be trained. So now you get to work. And your boss asks you to go clean a toilet. Oh, stupid job. I don't even know why I have to go do this. It's stupid. No, 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 no. Do it as unto the Lord. I know I'm not getting any fans in this message. If, if there was an electronic light button, I know that I wouldn't be getting a lot of likes in this one right now. Facebook world, I'm probably getting all kinds of thumbs down. But you understand, this isn't a popular message. Why? Because we don't like to submit. We like to reserve our right to complain against biblical authority. We like to reserve a right to say how stupid the bosses here are and how dare they make us do something. But God says a different message. This is what God has given us to do. He already knew what they were going to ask and we need to do it as unto the Lord. Why? Is it because God's just trying to make little slaves of us? I mean, that's a good question. Why? Because this is the testimony how we reach others. There's something different about the way that we work and behave and treat people, and the way that we have a different spirit about us that attracts people. People are tired of hearing about Christians. They want to meet one. And the number one place where people can meet Christians is at work. If you behave like a Christian. Um, Someone was telling me a testimony. Forgive me, I didn't remember who. But they were, someone had claimed to be a Christian and they didn't behave correctly. And the people went up to them and said, that's, 
that's how a Christian behaves? Is that how a Christian's supposed to act? No. People are looking for what a Christian actually looks like at work. How they behave, how they carry themselves, how they work. The way that we serve is not for men, it's for God. It's keeping our eyes upon him. This is the whole secret of it. If we don't do our best at the work, by the way, notice with me in verse number 24. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve Christ. You know what happens is that everything we do, we're going to stand before God and give an account. And you know that you could receive a reward from God for going to work and being the employee you ought to be? Isn't that a blessing? Well, it's not a blessing if you're not doing what you're supposed to, but what happens if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to? Verse 25, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. There is no respect of persons. God doesn't care who you are. If you're not the employee that you ought to be, you're going to stand before God and give an account. If you are the employee that you ought to be, you're going to stand before God and give an account to receive a reward or loss of rewards. Do you understand how many more people can get saved, forgiven of their sins, if Christians would behave like Christians at work? This is where you have the influence. Many of the people that you work with will never go to church. How are they going to see biblical Christianity if they don't go, don't go to church? Through you working with them. To see what a Christian acts like, behaves like, what they smell like, what they taste like, what they uh, behave like, what they talk about. The way that you behave at work becomes a great influence whether they'll trust God or not. Remember that the work of the church is not done within these four walls. They're done outside of those walls. And they work every day. In the everyday life, you have an opportunity of drawing someone closer to the Lord. Why? Because you're behaving the way that you ought to. This becomes a big deal. Now, the whole secret is you, you got to keep your eyes on the Lord. You cannot be the employee you ought to be if your eyes are not on God. Your eyes have to be on him, looking at him and not for yourself. Well, you said you talked a lot about the employee. What about the bosses? They always slide out. Well, that's the second thing. The role of the employer as unto the Lord. Notice with me in verse number one, chapter four and verse number one. God also tells the employer something. By the way, he goes in more detail in the book of First, Thess uh, First Timothy. Uh, he talks more about the bosses and employer. This is something God brings up every once in a while, but it's in Colossians now. Notice with me Colossians chapter four and verse one. Colossians chapter four and verse one. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. God looks down and tells him, hey, don't forget that you got a boss too. And you better treat the employees right because you're going to stand before me and give an account of how well you were at an employer, at a boss. God instructs the employee to be the right type of boss. The employees have every right to expect fair treatment, especially from a Christian boss, from a believer boss. They should be just and equal in their treatment. God tells them, you better do what's right. So the employees aren't the only ones getting picked on. God turns to the bosses and says that you need to do what's right and do what's fair. We know that there are times that bosses sometimes uh, will have favorites. God says, don't do that. 
be equal, be just, be right, and how you treat people and how you deal with people and the things that you do. We know that they're a level of trust, but the idea of equal is giving them what is due for them for the labor that they have, doing what's equal for that. We know that most people are the employees, so that's why here the emphasis is on the employees idea, but both of them have this idea, keeping your eyes on the Lord. You say, preacher, this isn't very much of a Sunday morning message. That's why I told you beforehand, this is next up. Don't get mad at me. I just said what was next. But every single one of us need this. Why? Because our default is complaining. You say, well, what about you? Well, I hate my boss. Not God, me. I have to go tell me what to do. And there are times I don't want to listen to me. You know what? I also have other bosses. I'm a chaplain. You think sometimes I'm not happy with some of the situations they put me in? Yeah. But can I complain to my officers about not at all? So I understand I have the same thing. I have to deal with some of you folks and I can't complain. You're like too mean. You understand what I mean. You deal with people. You got issues. Well, the same thing's true with y'all. You have the thing. You work there. Our temptation is complain. I almost want to say, if you complain about your boss in the last two weeks, or your work in the last two weeks, raise your hand. I'm not going to do that because everyone will raise their hand. If you're employed, you've complained about your boss probably. Given enough time, you'll probably look for something. This is something we all have to work at. Where do we start at? Keeping our eyes on God. Keep our eyes on him. Going to work every day saying, Lord, I want to be pleasing to you. Help me to do my job competently and well. Help me to do the best I can for your glory and honor so that way you could bring more people to yourself. Now, this is practical. This isn't very theological as much as it's very practical. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we live. This is everyday life. This is something you get to practice tomorrow. You get right away, you get a test to see if you pass or not by going to work and seeing how well you do. Kids, you got to go to school tomorrow. And you get to oh, not tomorrow, you get tomorrow off. Tomorrow's Labor Day. Yeah. Woohoo! You get one day off before the study to prepare for Tuesday to get practice. And then Tuesday, you get to go back and I'm going to pray that God brings this message back to you when your teacher's loading you full of homework. Oh, Lord, thank you. Help me to keep my eyes on you. Help me to be thankful for what God's given me today, this wonderful bounty. <laughs> for Tuesday, the rest of you got to go to work. You got to practice this. And I'm going to pray that God brings it back to your mind. Help me to be the employee I ought to be. As soon as your mouth starts to want to complain, you shove that thing back in. Nope, nope. Stay in there. Don't let it out. Remember, everything in the Christian life is habits. This is an automatic you don't automatically wave a wand or get a switch and all of a sudden become the best employee. But you should strive at it. It is my personal conviction that when a Christian leaves his job, it takes two people to replace him. Because that Christian is the hardest worker there. Why? As unto the Lord. There was something that built this country that was called a Protestant work ethic that we have lost. Most people don't know how to work and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Now's the time that if Christian works the way they should, they should stand out because very few people know how to work. This is the time to really show there's something different about our relationship with God, that our eyes are on him and we're following after what God's given us to do. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.